This is the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hello and welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and fearlesspresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps people just like you get rid of public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. On this episode, I'm going to reveal a few secrets about how to recover from a terrible speech. So, you know, what happens when a presentation just bombs? Even professional speakers have setbacks like this, and and the things that I'm going to cover in this podcast can really um, help you overcome that challenge or overcome that negative that, that occurs when you have one of those setbacks. The podcast is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. And actually, I have a few exciting announcements this week. Back by popular demand right after the July 4th holiday, we're again going to be offering our free webinar, Three Simple Ways to Absolutely Eliminate Public Speaking Fear. The last time that we offered this webinar, we filled up, I think it was like 48 hours of the, of the opening registration. So this time we're going to allow uh, anyone who wants to register to do so. So it's unlimited as far as the number of people that can register. But only the first 100 people or so who log in will actually get to hear the webinar live. But what we're going to do is we're going to publish a recording that um, that anyone who registers will be able to access for about 48 hours after the, the webinar occurs. So if you're interested, just go to www www.fearlesspresentations.com to register for that free webinar. Now, I also mentioned on last week's episode that we have a few new cities to the public speaking class schedule that we've added, and those locations are Austin, Baltimore, Boston, New Orleans, Orlando, San Antonio, Seattle, and Tampa. And then finally, in July, we have classes coming up in Denver and Minneapolis. Of course, the Minneapolis, I mentioned this last week, the Minneapolis class is already closed. It's already full, so we can't uh, put any more, any more people in there, but you can still get on the waiting list if you like. We also have Phoenix, Charlotte, San Francisco, Houston, Kansas City, Detroit, and Columbus. All those are coming up in the next uh, four to six weeks. So go to fearlesspresentations.com to register for a class because we only allow a maximum of 10 people per class. And once the class fills up, we have to close the registration. So let's get on with today's podcast. Hey, so in today's episode, we're going to focus on how to recover from a terrible speech. You know, so what happens when you really bomb a, a presentation or bomb a speech? What can you do? Well, it, just, it happens to all of us. You know, sooner or later, you know, we've prepared well, we've, we've practiced over and over, but then something happens, and sometimes it's something that's totally out of our control, and we bomb. We bomb on stage. So, how do you recover after giving a terrible speech and bombing us on stage? Well, whether the challenge occurs as a result of nervousness um, or presentation or anxiety, or if it's if it's you know the nuclear reaction that came from improper presentation, hey, it happens, you know. So, uh, and even public speaking pros can bomb a speech every now and then. So, what we're going to cover today are just a few simple things that you can do to recover from a speech when something terrible kind of happens. 
So the thing that we're going to cover first in this on this topic is that public speaking failures and and in fact even perceived failures you don't you don't actually have to fail when you get up to speak but if you think that you failed it's just as bad but e- either of those two things can either be a learning experience where we're learning something and growing from it or they can be a stumbling stone where it just kind of stops our growth entirely it was a great a great quote um, that says success is not final failure is not fatal and it's the courage to continue that really counts. And a lot of people are attributing that to Winston Churchill. But I've done a little bit of research, and apparently Winston Churchill never said that. So we're not exactly sure who said it. But it's such a great quote that if, that if you hear somebody quote that and they say, ooh, I think Winston Churchill said that, you can just correct them and say, no, I think Doug Standard said that. That was the first time I heard about it anyway. Um, I'm just joking. You don't have to do that. But, but it is a really good quote. Um, the first thing to remember about having a terrible speech is that public speaking fear comes from situations like this where we have a failure. And in fact, uh, like I said before, you don't necessarily actually have to have a failure on stage to raise your anxiety. Just a perceived failure will trigger that nervousness in the future. So, And anytime that we try something new and, and we don't really perform as well as what we want to, we're going to become more nervous when we try that skill set again, whether that's public speaking or anything else. You know, So think about it. What would have happened if the very first time that you set out to drive a car, you had an absolutely terrible accident? If, if that one drive was your only experience behind the wheel, it will be, a, it will be totally nerve-wracking to get back into the driver's seat. And if the first time that you ever used a computer, you accidentally erased the entire hard drive, then that's going to be it's going to be a little challenging to to work on a computer again. Um, the the so so what is it that um, that happens in public speaking that makes this skill so different from other ones? You know, why is it that most people are more willing to kind of give up after they have a failure in public speaking? And and really, the main thing is is that most of those. Other skill sets are things that you do all the time. For instance, most of us drive every day. And most of us work on a computer every day. However, public speaking is one of those things that we don't do very often. We may do that once a year, maybe, once every, or a couple times a year, once every three years, something like that. So, so it's not something that we have a, a, a huge track record of success. So if we have even one negative experience, it can sometimes hold us back and, and haunt us. You know, it can, it, it's... Um, it, it you, basically we're not able to have those those past successes to really fall back on. So the point is that the more successes that you have when you speak in front of a group, the less of a single bad experience will affect you. And and, and by by the way, that's one of the main reasons why people go to the the fearless presentations class. That's why we have you know classes filling up all over the world in the in the fearless presentations classes because in that two day class. Each one of the people that come through are able to have a series of success after success after success after success after success in front of a group. And after you string together a series of eight or nine successes in front of a group, then if anything kind of negative happens after that, you've got some success to fall back on. And so it really helps people. It helps people kind of boost their confidence pretty dramatically. Now, um, the second thing that you want to keep in mind about public speaking fear and bombing on stage is that 
the, the performance that you had is typically not as bad as what you make it out to be in your head. There's another quote. Um, it says, don't be embarrassed by your failures. Learn from them and start again. Richard Branson said that, the guy who, who started uh, Virgin Airlines and Virgin Records and all those kind of things. So um, basically what he's saying is that is that when, when you have one of those failures, you, you can treat it as a learning experience. And a lot of times we think that it was so bad that everybody's going to remember that forever. When in reality, that's not the case at all. In fact, in our heads, when we don't perform well in front of a group, especially, we think that we have just absolutely failed. However, in most situations, you probably did a lot better than what you think. We tend to exaggerate our failures when we think about them internally. We tend to color, you know, make them very colorful. We tend to exaggerate them. For example, about eight years ago, my company was hired to do this huge team building activity for a group of over 800 people. Now, at the time, this was the biggest group of people that we'd ever organized a, a team building activity for. And so we were being very, very careful. I, I'm, since I had the most speaking experience, I was the main speaker on stage. And just to be safe, I, I brought 10 additional professional speakers with me, 10 folks that I had trained to be to be professional speakers. They were with me. And we broke the banquet hall into the into um, 10 sections. So each one of the, the facilitators, each one of these professional speakers had one-tenth of the room to, to kind of keep an eye on. And so each one of them had about 80 people in their, in their section that they were working with. So when the we spent two days setting up the room. We wanted this just to look beautiful and perfect, and it, and it did. It was it was a gorgeous setup. We had I mean when folks walked in the room, it looked beautiful. The, the last thing that we had to set up was the sound, and and the sound crew came in, and uh, one of the things that I didn't really, I I mean I noticed it when they did it. But I didn't know how big of a problem it was going to create. So what the sound guys did was they set up four big, huge speakers. We had the we had the the um, the stage in the very middle of the of this big banquet hall, and we and so they put the four speakers on each one of the corners of the stage, pointing outwards. You know, so that the the sound would go from me from the center of the room out to you know the edges of of the room, and we tested it two, three, four times, and, and it sounded great. It worked really well. We had somebody go all the way to the edge of the wall and and have me test the, the microphone, and they could hear me perfectly. So we weren't really worried about it. And, 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 in fact, everything was perfect until about the first few hundred people came into the room. And I mentioned that this was a, a, a banquet hall. It was like a, like a trade show floor. So basically what, what most companies do with, with trade shows is a lot of times these are on the, kind of the lower floors. It's got the concrete floor, so there's no carpet. The reason why they do that is because at, at trade shows, sometimes people want to have their own carpet and, and that kind of thing. So it's easier to put that on a concrete floor than it is to to um, try to, to make everybody's carpet kind of fit properly and that kind of thing. So there was a concrete floor, and the walls were really hard, and it was a really, really high ceiling. So as the people started walking through the on this concrete floor, it created sound. Every time somebody took a step, it created a, a slight sound. That sound would travel until it hit one of those hard surfaces, either, either the ceiling or the wall, and then it would bounce off and it echoed. And so there was this echo all the way through the room as the people were kind of coming in. Plus, now they're starting to talk. They're starting to talk to each other, and so the sound is kind of increasing and incre- increasing and increasing. And again, I didn't think much of it. I mean, it, it just sounded like a crowded room when we got started. 
But when I got on stage and I said, the, I was trying to give instructions to people as they were coming in. So like I said, they were coming in 100 at a time, 150, 200 people at a, at a time. And when I started to give them instructions, all of a sudden I realized that most of the people in the room couldn't hear any of the instructions that, were, that I was giving them. And so in order to fix it, what the audio guys did was they just cranked up the volume. And when they cranked up the volume, the next time I said something, the people who were standing closest to the stage, the ones that kind of got closer so that they could pay attention to me, they were blared out. I mean, I could see I, they, I could see them cringe. I could see their eyes crunch and they were holding their ears because it was so loud right there at the stage. And I was looking way back at the back of the room where the people that were furthest away from me were. And I could see them holding up their hands going, you know, in this in this confusion going, we can't hear anything that you're saying. And, and, and panic just kind of set in. It was one of those things that we weren't sure exactly what we were, we were going to be doing. Now, luckily that idea that I had to bring the, the extra facilitators with me worked like a charm because those 10 facilitators basically just kind of took over. So each one of them had their 80 or so persons that are in their group. They, they crowded around them and they would give the instructions to their, their smaller group. And it actually turned out really well. I mean, the, the, the event, went off um, like clockwork it was it was um, they, they loved it it seemed like uh, folks were having a good time but the whole time that my other instructors were actually leading the the event that I was supposed to be leading on stage I'm I'm on stage going this is this is a disaster oh my gosh this is horrible the event planner who hired me they, she's thinking this is a disaster the audio guys are panicking now because they know that we're going to have to end this thing sooner or later and somewhere along the way I'm going to need to say something and and people are going to be, be going to need to hear me and eventually the the sound guys were able to kind of pipe the uh, the the sound uh, instead of through their speakers through the there were actually speakers in the ceiling which I'm I'm I was going why the heck didn't you use those in the first place and and actually the ending was fine they could hear me fine uh, toward the ending of the of the event but it was just one of those things where it was just, it was embarrassing and that poor event planner was terrified the sound guys were mortified and when the when the event was over though we started getting people coming by you know because I was still standing standing close to the stage in, in the middle and I kept getting people coming by telling me how great the event was and how much fun they had and, and about the I don't know, maybe after about the 10th person came by, the event planner and I were just kind of looking at each other going, God, were, were they in the same room that we were? Did they not see how, how awful this was? And then once the, like the 30th person came by and thanked us, though, we began to wonder if, you know, if something really interesting was, was kind of going on here. In reality, what happened was in that first 15 minutes, Everybody was frustrated. I was frustrated. The event planning, the event planner was frustrated. The audio guys were frustrated. Pretty much all 800 people in the room were frustrated because there was lots of confusion and miscommunication, that kind of thing. But once once the event started and the other instructors started to kind of take over, everything just kind of worked. It was it it was a it it actually was a, a pretty good event. And even though from our perspective, we thought it just bombed we thought it was horrible the people who were actually there you know didn't didn't bat a, they, they didn't by the time the event finished they didn't remember what happened in the first 15 minutes so it was a fantastic learning experience because of the, the because of that that challenge that we that occurred in that room that day we were actually able to alter our delivery in a way that 
we found out how we could actually deliver much bigger events with fewer people, fewer instructors. In fact, nowadays we'll do 800, 1,000, 2,000 people. We'll train that many people with just two instructors. So, and it's all ha- it all happened as a result of that learning experience that we had. So, so keep in mind that that um, most of the time the audience, what, what's what we see as a disaster on stage, is something that the audience doesn't necessarily remember for very long. It's not one of those things that kind of stick with and they go, oh my God, I remember when Doug really bombed that, that speech two years ago? It doesn't really happen that much. Now, I mean, I'm sure it could, but it's it's rare anyway. That, that, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't perform well, though. I mean, that but it should give you a little confidence that you know we, we're typically a lot harder on ourselves than what the audience is on us. So the the third thing that I want to cover here, though, and this is one of the things that I think most of you are probably kind of tuned in for, is the, the way how do you how do you fix it? You know, so what how do you how do you keep it from happening? Number one, and then how do you fix it after it does happen? So so one of the best ways to keep that thing from happening when you bomb on stage is just to change the way that you prepare when you're when you're designing your speech. Nine times out of ten, most stage bombs that start. They, they, that occur, they start with a person doing things that he or she will believe will keep him from bombing on stage. For instance, a lot of people will just write out their presentation word for word. And then once they write it out word for word, they're gonna to try to memorize that presentation. They're gonna to try to memorize the speech word for word. Now, although that preparation seems logical, all it takes is just one moment during the, the, the delivery of that speech where you forget what you're gonna say, and then all of a sudden, Everything. I mean, if you're you're probably going to be nervous already, but if that happens, your nervousness is going to shoot through the roof. So, 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 trying to write your presentation out word for word and then read it or memorizing it, those things can really have disastrous effects. So, I, I would encourage you to do something a little bit different. And then, what we teach in the fearless presentations class. Um, it is quite a bit different. In fact, when I first created the program, when I first first created our class, one of the first things that I designed was a simple way to prepare for a speech without having to memorize it. Without having to memorize anything, by the way. We typically spend a couple of days in the in the fearless presentations class, really helping participants really master this skill. But in a nutshell, I'll give you kind of the nuts and bolts. I'll give you the, the, the real simple things that you can do. So the very first thing that you can do to really reduce this anxiety and reduce this chance of bombing on stage is you want to narrow down your topic to something that's really, really specific. The more that you try to say in one sitting, the less likely anybody in the audience is going to remember it. So it's really, really important to kind of take the, that broad topic that most of us start out with and really narrow it down to something that's really interesting to the audience. Um, I, I give you an example of this. Like, for instance, if, if I'm like, for instance, when I when I'm designing presentation classes or workshops, if I try to design a workshop for everybody, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a, if I just titled it presentation skills class, that's going to be really, really difficult because there are 150 gazillion different things that people can do in presentations. There's different ways to kind of start. There's different content that you can put in there. So what I do a lot of times when I'm designing my my um, my workshops or when I'm designing my seminars is I'll take one specific component of designing a speech or one specific challenge that people are likely to experience 
and I'll design the presentation around that. If you if you do that when you're designing your own presentations, it'll make the your presentations much more interesting and easier to write, by the way, easier to, to design and much, much, much more easy to deliver and your audience is going to like it a lot more, by the way. And then the second the second step in in this process that we teach in the class is you want to narrow once you narrow down your topic you want to organize your speech into just a few key concepts or a few key points. You know, typically what we teach in our classes is, you know, three, four, five key points will work and and they'll work in most situations. Now there might be some situations where you have to cover more, but for the most part if you cover the three most important or the four most important or the five most important concepts or bullet points related to this topic that you're presenting, you're typically going to do pretty pretty well. In fact, I design my presentations by choosing which key points are most important to explaining this topic. So, you know, so um, let's say that you have a really broad topic. You know, this is what we were talking about before. If you have a broad topic, then you have, you know, you might have 10 or 15 things that need to be said about that topic. Well, chances are that after you cover the first two, three, four, five anyway, that your audience is going to lose interest. They're going to start drifting off. It's going to start to get boring. So instead of trying to cover all 10 items, pick the three most important things or the four most important things or the five most vital parts of that topic and deliver your presentation about those things. And typically you'll get a, a much better result. So. And then finally, the last thing is you want to give a couple of really good pieces of proof or support for each one of those key points that you've designed. So if you've got three really good key points and you go for each one of those points that you're delivering, you add in a story or an analogy or a statistic about the point that you're making, you're basically just going to use some content or some meat to prove that that uh, that the prove to the audience what you're saying in the bullet point. You just have to prove to them that it's true. The analogy I like to use here is it, it's like you're an attorney and you're presenting a case to a jury. So each one of your bullet points is the statement that you're making, but then you have to have some proof too. You have to have an eyewitness. You have to have some DNA evidence, something like that, something that proves that this bullet point is true. And if you do that, people are going to believe your content. They're going to believe that you know what you're talking about. They're going to believe your conclusion that you're that you're drawing for them. So if you think about it, if if you have you know one topic, you've got three key bullet points underneath each one of the uh, underneath that topic, and then underneath each bullet point, you've got one or two really solid pieces of evidence. Your entire presentation is only going to have what six to nine things that you would have to remember. And the neat thing about it is that if you make a really good slide with just your three bullet points, you don't have to remember anything. You basically just just kind of put in uh, a few key um, memory joggers and you won't have to remember anything. So so do those things and that will actually keep you from, from bombing on stage. If you happen to have already had a situation though where things didn't go as well as what you wanted them to, a good way to improve or a good way to overcome that challenge is to get a coach. Um, Pete Carroll, you know, he's the uh, he was the uh, um, the head coach for uh, the Seattle Seahawks and and a bunch of other football teams. But he said that each person holds so much power within themselves that needs to be let out. He said sometimes if you just if you just sometimes people just need a little nudge. They need a little direction, a little support, a little coaching, and the greatest things can happen. And we find that to be so true in public speaking. One of the fastest ways to recover from a terrible speech is to get a good coach. 
and I don't mean get someone to critique your performance because that will actually just make things worse. A lot of worse. A lot of well-intended coworkers or friends tend to kind of do this for us. They think they're helping. They've seen us bomb, and they want to help us, so they tell us what we did wrong, so we can fix it. And the problem with that, though, is that whatever you reinforce, you get more of. So when folks kind of tell us what we need to improve, there's a good chance that we're just going to end up doing more of that. So, um, so, so those well-intended friends can sometimes actually put us into a a, a place that makes it much more difficult to to recover. Um, uh, the, uh, a good coach, though, is someone who can identify the key strengths that you have as a, as a speaker, as a presenter, and then help you develop those strengths. You know, we all have things that we're good at in front of a group, and if you get a good coach, that coach will be able to help you identify what those things are. You focus on those things, and the things that the negative things will tend to kind of go away. You know, for instance, where a coworker might tell you that you have a monotone voice, a good coach will help you see that you're pretty detail-oriented and you have a knack for providing solid support. So if you focus on those things and and see how good you really are at those kind of things, then you'll start to speak a little faster. That natural energy will will improve. So if they tell you you have a monotone voice, you're likely just going to to, you know, every time you hear yourself say something, you're going to you're going to beat yourself up about it, right? So basically the best way to improve a monotone voice is to insert some enthusiasm, some energy. The best way to do that is to reduce the nervousness, get rid of the nervousness and the enthusiasm kind of jumps in. And that's it's the same with any of those things. Any of those little minor things that we think are kind of holding us back as as speakers, if you get a good coach, a lot of times that coach can help you shave a lot of time off the the learning curve and something like this. Bottom line is when you have one of those inevitable poor public speaking performance it's not the end of the world you can recover from it and if you use it as a learning process you'll actually become a much stronger speaker the next time you get up to give a presentation so thanks a lot for being a part of this fearless presentations podcast we'll talk to you next week Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.